What right does a man have to rule another? The thing is so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that if I invented a particular device, pretty soon I'd have to get a permit from the state to use my own product. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants, for a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Freedom. They are not independent of each other. These are not two different things which are at opposite ends of the pole. They are one thing of which the one is a negation of the other. They say, why don't you get into politics? I mean, why don't you try to run for office? Then you can create change. You don't create change when you're in office. They tell you what to do. This is how we create change, by getting this information out to the masses. We can do more in one year than someone can sitting in office for eight years. We are strong. Divide us and the road leads to destruction. Don't you fall a prey to Babylon. They want to pull us all in different directions. So they take you from the root and teach you their own truth. Open up your mind. Please don't you be so blind. I'm not in it for the fame. I'm in it for the love. When it's all said and done, we're more than blood. Yes, good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio 2.0 episode. And I don't think I numerically planned this, but hey, episode 123. It is the 7th day of March, 2016. I'm going to be here live for, I don't know. It could be an hour, it could be an hour and 15 minutes, it could be an hour and 30. With all the information that we have to go over since the last time I put a podcast out and threatened many, many times to ditch the blog talk radio, we are finally here. We have arrived. And what better way to bring it in than uh, with our own a uh, special guest, as always, Josh Wiley of statelesshomesteading.com. Josh, thanks for coming on board for the momentous occasion. Jay, thanks so much for having me, as always. Uh, digging the new intro, certainly digging the new stream. Uh, just uh, I feel like I should have a joint after listening to that song, though. <laughs> well, you know, that would make you a terrorist. So, uh, Certainly. <laughs> well, not, not in the state of Michigan. But uh, I, the reason I chose the song was um, was... And I think that when you heard it the first time, we we chatted about this a little bit. Was um, it does give that Rastafarian sound? Of course, it's a reggae beat, but the verbiage and the message was what I was trying to convey. Because it's really what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to divide people. We're not MSNBC. We've got a really good clip from those guys here uh, to play for you later on. Uh, as their uh, as their plan backfires and blows up in their face, but um, it's all about uniting the people. It's about bringing us together. It's about pointing out the fact that globalism is not your friend. It's about pointing out the fact that multinationals, um, most above the law and diplomatically immune and offshore, tax exempt, which are slowly coming into the fold now into these uh, political. Um, theater that we call elections here in america but we see it all now uh as josh and i have warned for uh, myself for three years on air uh josh uh, i guess you've been doing podcasts about the same amount of time um but what we're doing is trying to get to a um a point of understanding and bringing the people to a point where they can accept the knowledge 
and they can accept the forensic history behind what is going on. That this is not all one giant coincidence. And I do have a really interesting story to tell um, about my one of my experiences of trying to um, of trying to explain to somebody the difference between society and state. And I tried to use a very rudimentary argument. And as this one gentleman, Carol Quigley, once put it, there are three things that exist. The individual, society, and the state. Two of which are necessary. One of which is not. And I don't have the exact quote. I should, I should run downstairs and get it. But um, since we're doing a live stream... It was, um, I'm rereading Tragedy and Hope, Josh. As you know, I listened to it via MP3 last time. And now, um, actually reading it, I'm starting to get, um, more reinforced. But, um, I think it was page 83 really slapped me in the face where he talked about, I think it was the, uh, the Byzantine Empire after the nine, 900s and talking about how it was basically a, a fully anarchist society where they had laws, but there was no real ruling body. And this, was, um, this has been well documented for about 300 years, and you know, it, was part of, um, it was part of Russia, and they had all these different, um, these different factions and fightings going on, but um, he shows it, it lays the foundation for the fact that you really don't need the state. And... In the 1200s was when uh, the state was actually introduced by combinations of uh, Viking militarists and uh, and they were basically enforcing all this um, uh, Greek, uh, I guess, Greek city-state ideology upon the Slavs. But um, making the argument that um, you really don't need the state and if you ever have anybody that says that you do, you can point to them as a good reference point. And as Josh and I have said many times on this show, we're at a point in society with all the technology that the majority of things that we do now, we, we really don't need an authority figure uh, that we can actually really, sub, I guess, what uh, I don't want to say circumvent, but um, we can do away with a lot of the waste with the technology that we have. I mean, think about how silly it is that politicians go to Washington, D.C., I mean, we have video conferencing. I mean, I sell this stuff for a living. It's it's highly resolute. It's um, recordable, and it's um, it's pretty reliable. So there's really no need for the big fancy trips to Washington. There's no need for all of this other nonsense. It's just status quo stuff, and that's what we're here to your, do. How would your lobbyists get access, though, Jake, if they weren't in the same general vicinity? Well, see, that would be the problem. Um, once again, you know, the problem with people talking about how we need to take the money out of voting, well, guess who gets all the money? The media gets all the money, and the media is never going to let that happen because that's where they get most of their budgets. Election cycles are big business, as we're seeing now with Mr. Donald Trump and and um, and whoever, I guess, is running for the Democratic nomination, and, and this is... This has been the most interesting election I have followed in probably the last 12 years. So I do want to – we have to touch on it a little bit even though it is a charade, Josh. Well, before you do, um, you know, because Quigley is a fascinating macro historian. But I think that's one of the points to his credit is that he has these historical examples that fundamentally disagree with his worldview. 
because he's very clear in saying that, look, you live under this new form of neo-feudalism. It's all controlled from the top down through the Bank of International Settlements, through central bankers acting in concert. Uh, I am fundamentally for this. I'm just not for the secrecy, uh, which I think lends credence to his credibility, not just the fact that he was an insider and was so connected through the Georgetown establishment, but simply because he was a good Catholic schoolboy at heart and uh, couldn't, couldn't bear to have, uh, have things remain shrouded. Um, and even though I jest about your opening and vis-a-vis can -vis cannabis ingestion, uh, I think that is a big part in terms of coming to accept some of these more, quote-unquote, conspiratorial macro-historical trends as truth. Because I mean, I don't. Speaking for myself, I can say that I was, a, I would consider myself a well-read individual before I kind of entered this lexicon. Uh, at which point, I you know read far more than I'd ever read in my life. Um, but were it not for cannabis, uh, I mean, for example, the moment I I quote unquote woke up, I think could be uh, solidified as watching a Mike Rupert presentation, Truth and Lies, Truth and Lies of 9/11. Um, well, hitting a bong with my good friend Daryl. Uh, I mean, that was years ago now. But I don't know if I would have been so open to questioning the reality that, as it had been framed to me, were I not in that state of mind initially. Well, I'm not saying that you have to be, you know. You don't gotta be. You don't gotta be time, fried but. in order to understand that a lot of this stuff that you're seeing in front of you is pure nonsense. Exactly, and, and I, I, yeah, I, I don't know if that has more to do with the fact that. Cannabis ingestion is one of these great lies that, you know, I grew up in a fairly conservative household. So when I, you know, hit the joint for the first time, I was like, wait, I'm not dead. I'm not, I don't want to jump out a window. This is actually pretty great. Uh, or if it's just the effect of cannabis itself. Um, but both of those things kind of tear down those reality frames around you and allow you to kind of question things in a, in a more cohesive way. No, I think that makes a, it makes a really good point because... When you, when you're conditioned, that's what teaching is, for lack of a better term. It's conditioning. I mean, you look at the way that we're schooled now, and you and I talk about this a lot on the show. It's not like a, a school of fish. Yes, we are conditioned. Moving in concert. We are conditioned to be cohesive units. We're conditioned to all work together, and um, which there's nothing wrong with working together, but we have to be individuals at the same time, otherwise. Society versus the state. Oh, but then, but then you run into this challenge of of authority. And um, oh, by the way, um, <laughs> you know you have a cool audience when you're when one of your fans calls you up on, after a Sunday day drinking and busts your balls for not doing a podcast. So that's pretty cool. You guys are awesome. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the Twitter hits. Thank you for the email notes, the direct messages, wondering where the show was. Um, sometimes personal life does get in the way of creating media content, but now we are above the horizon and we can actually do all this stuff without having to do extra hanky panky, like I had to do with Blog Talk Radio, which was an absolute nightmare. So. Thank you guys for three years. Uh, you will still have my archives there. I've actually imported all of those from iTunes. So we'll be throwing those up on the We Are Not Cattle site. And look for some changes on the We Are Not Cattle site as well. So enough with the housekeeping stuff. It was um, the experience that I had. And this is the, um, 
I, I, I teased this to, to the listener yesterday. Um, the experience that I had when I went to my corporate training uh, to learn more about the product set that I was selling was absolutely fascinating. So I was really well-reserved, um, sat there and you know just did my due diligence for the first two days. And we went out to dinner on the second night and I sat next to... Uh, one of the guys at work who was a former government contractor. So it was interesting to chat with him. Uh, and then there were a couple other guys, uh, one of which is um, fairly awake. He's from Sonoma County. So he asked me if I've ever heard of this uh, uh, retreat that these elites go on out in Sonoma County in California. And I said, oh, the Bohemian Grove. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know about that? I'm like, yeah, maybe heard about it. So he understood that, you know, a lot of what you're seeing is now fairy tales. But um, there was a good old status there with us. Man, was he ready. So we're having dinner, and we're having a couple glasses of wine, and uh, the former contractor and I are chatting just, um, you know, about philosophy and stuff like that. And so I told him, I said, well, I'm a, I'm a philosophical anarchist. I said, I believe with modern technology that we don't need a lot of uh, the state, and nor do we need um, the, the threat of violence against us to come out of our pockets 25 to 30% in order to fund an operation that is woefully inefficient and, um, and will actually take your rights away from you. So, <coughs> so they, everybody goes up in an uproar. As soon as they hear anarchists, everybody thinks chaos. And I said, okay, well, let's... Guys, let's calm down. Let's start from scratch. Let's define the term. So I pointed out to them that the term doesn't necessarily mean without rules. It means without rulers. It means you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder pointing a finger at you telling you you can't do that. As long as it's not causing any harm to anyone else or not infringing on anybody else's freedom or violating any sort of ethics or laws that you've all agreed upon, then everything's cool. Let them do what they want. So we get into this conversation, and so they still aren't buying into it. So I made a, a good philosophical reference, and I said, so let's say the four of us, pretty well-educated guys, can we all agree? And they said, yes. I said, let's say that we form a society out in the middle of nowhere, just four of us, and we all come up with rules, and hey, for the sake of argument, let's just say the Constitution is the ground rules, or better yet, let's say the Bill of Rights is the ground rules. They said, okay, we can all deal with that. And they said, well, what happens if um, – I said, well, let's take Francis that, um, that Dave here, Dave steals from one of us. And we find out that Dave steals from one of us. So we hire an outside individual to come and arrest Dave and put him in a jail cell. And then we have a trial, and then we all find the evidence, and we find Dave guilty. And we either banish him or we fine him, make him return the stolen goods, so on and so forth. And everybody goes on, along with their life. And so the very next question is, well, what happens if a gangbanger comes in? And I said, well, that's he's the same. Doesn't matter what his or what your you know perception of him is. As soon as he commits a violent act or has coercion or infringes on any of your rights, you get to do the same thing. But I said, but here's the key: nobody comes out of pocket for the guy that comes and arrests them until the time is needed for the arrest to take place. And they say, well, you can't do that because then what you're saying is that, is that um, if somebody breaks into my house and I didn't pay for the protection, then I don't get it. And I said, that's exactly right. You didn't contribute. So at least you understand 
that it's a voluntaristic thing. I volunteer to pay for these protections rather than having some, some you know, body or entity threaten violence upon me if, I don't, if they don't get to extort money from me and then provide me a service that a lot of times is corrupt in the first place. So it's – and they say, well, what happens if you get – you know, it's the same argument we always get, Josh. Well, what happens if you get just a, a group that comes in and, and just arrests everybody? I'm like, then you fire them. Then you bring in another group to arrest those guys and you fire them. I'm like, it's really simple. Like what happens when you go to – What happens when you have a group that comes in and arrests everybody, Jake, like uh, currently happens in our in our existing paradigm? Right, exactly. And if your free speech you doesn't – choice. Yeah, exactly. If your free speech doesn't line up with theirs, then they arrest you or they uh, – and, and so we went back and forth. And then it got to the, um, the precipice. I was waiting for this. And I could not believe that it came out of this guy's mouth. So the guy sitting next to me says, well, I'm a Republican. I'm like, I don't care what you are. I said, You're I don't. A straight I, bitch, son. Uh, well, here, here's, what, here's where it gets interesting. Those are my words, not Jake's, in case he's listening. Yeah, yeah. so understand, once again, I'm cleaning up the show. 2.0, I'm going to clean up the show. I did a great job running a clean show for a while. Foul mouth millennial. No on my end, I'm very sorry. Yep, foul mouth millennial Josh. We'll just call him foul mouth Josh. We'll, um, we'll have uh, Tourette's from every now and again. So he looks at me and says, with a straight face, I think we should have a one-world government that goes through and anybody that doesn't agree with Western society that we round them up and murder them because they're holding back progress. And I said, have you ever read the last will and testament of Cecil John Rhodes by any chance? And he said, no, but what you're talking about, he's like, listen, Karl Marx said, and I said, hold on, time out. I said, absolutely nothing that I just said has anything to do with Karl Marx. And can you name me two books that Karl Marx has written? This is it at dinner. I said, name me two books. Name two. I said, I'll, get, I'll, I'll go Das Kapital. That's one. Give me the other one. It's very popular. And he said, well, uh, look. I, I'm just saying that Karl Marx said that. I'm like, you really don't know what you're talking about, do you? I said, so ex- you have se- carry central bank notes in your pocket. <laughs> and I said, so let me let me understand. Um, let me understand this. You want to invade an Eastern society, which is not based on rule of law, which Western society is, that is based on rule of religion or rule of edicts, and you want to murder these people. You want to ex- you want to enforce violence. On a group that has not been violent to you because your ideology is better. He goes, yes. And I said, let me guess. You're afraid the Muslims are going to come and get you. And he goes, well, we got we to keep an eye on them. I said, well, what you're espousing is exactly what you're afraid of, which is so ironic I can't even begin to it. Is that ironic? Did I use that term properly? Or is that – yeah, that was irony. He was yeah. advocating for the one thing that he is terrified of. So that Absolutely. was so that was my story, Josh. So I found somebody that advocates for global government and eugenics, and he sat right next to me. And it was fantastic. And he was so smart, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe how smart this guy was. Hadn't read, a, hadn't read a book in like five years, but he knew everything. He had it all figured out. I'm sure he did. The terrifying thing is, Jake, if you were to sit down with i would say a good majority of americans on of both political stripes they would they would come to similar conclusions now they would probably do this 
Hey, what you reading for? Probably something like that. that. Yeah, that would probably be it. All right, so let's get into some of these clips after just some um, some monologuing there by yours truly. But I had to share that. People, these are these are your fellow countrymen, Jake, and that's the terrifying prospect about anarchy as it exists today. Because I fundamentally accept that an anarchic world would be a far more free world. Yet, because of this diaspora of enforcement of these rules, it would be slightly more dangerous. Yeah. And that is that is a responsibility that, as an individual, I would be willing to uh, bear for the society that I live in, solely because I value that individuality and autonomy, as any thinking human being should. If you don't, you're a serf. But the, that's the terrifying thing: is that if if anarchy were to reign today, we would we would find ourselves with those people as our friends, neighbors, and colleagues. And that that scares me far more than a world without rule of law. Well, I would agree with that. And so that we have predators. They're not they're not even it's not even the big bad state. It's the predators are your friends and neighbors. Yeah. And and what was interesting was, you know, uh, as you and I've talked about before, I said I was a philosophical anarchist, but I'm also a realist and understand that, like you said, it it's not going to happen tomorrow, people. But we have to at least in, in, implant the idea of a better society and how to get there and and what it should look like and what it could look like. And the the overarching theme of what I was what I was trying to get to with this guy is that once we once I calmed everyone down from the grammar that I used that was so shocking to them, and we had a polite discussion and and really came to the conclusion, hey, we're all relatively intelligent right would we do any of these things they're like no well what happens if a gangbanger comes in i'm like then kick him out of your state or kick him out of your municipality and and force him away i'm like i don't understand how this is such a foreign concept but they're so used to somebody else enforcing the rules that that's that's the real disconnect is that they would have to enforce the rules and so with with the way that the the class that's being brought up now the con the condition nanny class that um, did you – there was an article floating around. I have to send it to you about this um, This guy that was um, – I guess he's a, a gay activist and he's a little bit um, rude and crude. And he made some comments about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. And people were calling up the crisis hotline crying because they were so hurt that this guy was making all these statements. And the person that headed up the event, Josh, I will not lie to you. I'll find it and send it to you. He said, well, we did put a trigger warning in the flyer saying that this was going to be dangerous. You know, this was going to be, you know, kind of risque. And then he goes on to apologize for the people having their feelings hurt about this one guy's free speech. He's like, I really didn't want anybody to be upset and sad. And it hurts my feelings to think that people actually were depressed. Man, you guys... You guys make a fantastic slave class. Way to go. Way to go. Oh, they're, it, they're, they're perfect surfs, Jake. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a story that came across. Uh, well, they figured out that it's easy. It, it, they figured out it's easier to let us control each other than to have somebody come through with a billy club and whack us on the head. And it's working beautifully because yeah. you guys are all, uh, you're all mentally ill. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, there's from from my former uh, former brainwashing institution, the University of Michigan. 
the story floating around about a snow penis, Jake, uh, in the Michigan Review, and that some students were very offended by the snow penis. They thought it was a symbol of male power. And some implied that because the penis was white, <laughs> that it was a symbol of white male power, and that no effort had been made to create a, a, uh, a corresponding snow vagina for the snow penis. They thought that was very wrong. Um, the, I'm, I kid you not, this is an actual article in the Michigan Review, which is the leading leftist uh, paper on that campus. And I have obviously not been there for a few years now. Uh, I left before completing my indoctrination just because it was so insufferable. But you come across, I would say, a good majority of people that are like this. And I don't mean to uh, be um, sexist in any manner, uh, at least not overtly, but unfortunately I found that most of these hypersensitive people were women, uh, that that brainwashing psychological operation was far more effective on the female psyche than the male psyche. Um, but it was the culture was pervasive across all genders, uh, and that there were people who quite literally were offended by everything. Well, Mark Dice went and did a video today that was fantastic. Went around and asking people what Washington, what famous character in history Washington, D.C. is named for. And everybody goes, oh, uh, hold on. Hold on. Abraham, Abraham Lincoln. No, somebody did say that. Of course. Someone always says Abraham Lincoln. All right, so that's like the default. All right, so anyway, enough with the uh, the sidebar. So thank you, everybody, for um, – hold on. i got to mess with my mic here, everybody. I'm getting some funky levels. So hopefully that will change my leveling. There we go. Looks a little bit better. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get into uh, – got to cover it, man. Um election and we're going to spend all of you know five minutes people so brace yourself but mainly we're going to talk about my experience not that it's <laughs> not that it's anything to be proud of but as we say rise above the rhetoric i was having some problems dealing with the idea of my original thesis that donald trump is an agent for the clintons so I got sucked into the rhetoric, and I know what it is, Josh. It's the NLP from the Seed Man. It is the if you guys are listening to the Seed Man, aka Alex Jones, do not. The NLP is dangerous. I will. I'm glad you brought it up before me. I was I, gonna. I was gonna mention that, the NLP. That's where it all came yeah. from. It, it, it's where. It, and for for those of you that don't uh, know the acronym, NLP is neuro linguistic programming. He uses certain verbs, phrases, pitches, tones, and attractions. Yeah, smoke and mirrors. Gestures, yeah. Gestures as well. Uh, that get you, and they affect your psyche, so your psyche's really not listening to the word. It's listening to the tone. It's listening to the pitch. It's listening to the tempo. And you get really kind of discombobulated or worked up into a fervor, which, to his credit, one William Cooper said that Alex Jones's show was one big theater and how it has a climax and then it has a descent but he builds you up to this main uh main point and then he drops you off the cliff and then you get to wait till tomorrow so as i was watching the seed man and getting the nlp from everybody and hearing about how different donald trump was and listening to the argument that the, the seed man was making about how it's 
Well, the entire establishment's against him, and the uh, all the foreign governments that are bad are against him, which is actually true. So I did take that into effect. I was like, well... And then he put out a tweet about auditing the Fed, and I thought that was kind of nice, too. I did like what he said about going back and renegotiating some of the no-bid no contracts for... For the, uh, for the military, even though he's a militaristic guy, I really don't like that. But I would like to take some of the spoils away from the no-bid contracts. And, and at least if these guys are going to be fighting wars for their lives, at least give them some kind of weaponry that they actually want, not something from 1970. So after all of that, Josh and I talked. And Josh said, you're buying into it. Just take a step back. Because I wasn't, I said, you know, I might, I might have to go vote. I might have to go vote. I don't know. I might have to break rank here and go vote if he keeps this rhetoric up. But then it happened, Josh. Then it happened. And here it is. Here is where it happened, everyone. Mr. Trump, you've repeatedly deflected calls for specific national security or defense policy plans with the claim that you'll ask the best people when you become president and take their advice. So who are the best people? Can you reveal? Who are the best people, Josh? Hmm. Who are the best? Hold on. Kissinger? Hold on. Maybe. I have the Mario Speaking coin. Brzezinski, maybe. I have the Mario coin ready. Who, ladies and gentlemen, is the best people? Two or three names that you trust for national security. I think Richard Haas is excellent. I have a lot of respect for him. I think... Okay, so for those of you playing the home game, and I got stumped for a second. I was like, Richard Haas, why does that name sound familiar? Josh is like, he texted me and said, Richard Haas, huh? That's a good foreign policy advisor. And so I got on the phone with Josh, and I'm like, why does that name sound familiar? Josh, who is Richard, a.k.a. Dick Haas? Uh, Lil Dick Haas. He is uh, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. And how long has he been president on the Council on Foreign Relations? Oh, gee, since the 90s, isn't it? It's, 90, I think it was 93. So yeah, it's been a long time. All right, so let's see who else we got in her bag of tricks. General Kane is excellent. I think that um, there are, I like Colonel Jacobs very much. I, I see him. I know him. Uh, I have many people that I think are really excellent, but in the end, it's going to be my decision. When you just asked the question about Snowden... Uh, Oh, what do you think Snowden's going to be? Oh, he's an evil spy, of course. I will tell you, right from the beginning, I said he was a spy, and we should get him back. And if Russia respected our country, they would have sent him back immediately. But he was a spy. It didn't take me a long time to figure that one out, believe me. But I would get the best people, people that I'd be comfortable with, and we will do the right thing. Well, that's good to know, Mr. Donald. So the one thing a CIA shill maybe, but yeah, yeah. a Russian spy? <laughs> no. Nah. That was a good try though. I mean, you're reaching. Yeah, so so the Russian spy comes to tell the American public things that were revealed ten years ago. I love it. That's that's exactly what spies do. I, I'm I'm sure that uh, Richard Haas will be very pleased to be working alongside Bill Gates, though, as yeah. the internets are under the Trump regime. You got to get people that know what they're doing. You know, know how to create faulty software and and Trojan horses into everything. Then you'll be in great shape with a spy grid. Okay, so moving on. This, ladies and gentlemen, is why I got caught up into the Donald Trump hype, 
And this is a clip from MSNBC. Race baiters extraordinaire with their attempt to race bait uh, that fails miserably. And man, is this good. If you're Donald Trump, why would a KKK white supremacist guy want people to vote for you? That's the question that Donald Trump needs to be asked. Well, the question is also being asked. Oh, actually, this is the interesting thing is he was asked that question probably 15 or 20 times. And he said it every time that he would renounce the person that supports him, which is some weird political game we play in America that if. Anybody, Josh, if a white supremacist supports me, I have to renounce him. I have to say that I, I don't accept their support, which I guess, you know, people of different opinions can't support anybody else. You have to all be in the same group. Once again, the whole school of fish mentality that we have here in America. Here we go. And this is where it gets good. A lot of attention has been placed on his candidacy, Donald Trump, in the media. Now you have reports yeah. saying, listen, what about go his the supporters? Racial stuff. What are we learning about his supporters, the new people truly that he is, to his point, bringing into the fold? Um, Gabe- Who do you think he's going to bring into the fold, Josh? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, disenfranchised white male voters. All right, here we go. Racists. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, he's bringing in racists. So here we go. For God's sake, strap yourselves down. Yeah, everybody, and get ready. Pay attention. <laughs> Actually, uh, Jacob, one of our reporters, and I don't want to quote the wrong reporter here, uh, was just out at the Trump campaign. I think we have the sound, and my team will have to tell me, where they spoke with some Trump supporters. Um, let's play what they said. David Duke and people like that, they come out of... Out from under the rocks all the time around this time this year. It got nothing to do with Donald Trump. We're all Americans. I think we need to stop with all the racist stuff and the race being. Like me and my friend right here, we just met today. We was talking. You know, we got to stop with the racist stuff and, and this, that. we all Americans, man. And nobody paying baby dude. Big black guy next to an old white guy. Um, clearly, <laughs> let me just be clear here. Obviously, the majority of Donald Trump supporters are not African-American. I don't know. How- oh, obviously, Josh. Obviously, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, anything, any kind of voter turnout from the African-American community for a party other than Democrats in the last 50 years that's below 98%, I would call that significant. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, so close it out. Oh, that was seven minutes of election coverage. Wow. So one giant political theater, everybody. Speaking of more political theater, let's go to this clip, and then Josh and I are going to close out with a fantastic little ditty that I broke up into two segments, and they are very long clips, but they are well worth it. So here we go. Um, this is John McAfee from the actual software McAfee. And the FBI discussing what they should do about said iPhone. And Mr. FBI gets caught flat-footed. Of course, he does have the hair, Josh. He's got the, he's got the FBI hair, the white hair. He's looking good. You know, he's on a press suit, uh, ready to talk about how they are keeping us safe from the terrorists that they foment and then catch. Oh, and if you need some um, background for that, please check out uh, Aronson's book, uh, FBI's, um, what is it, Terror Factory, FBI's Manufactured War on Terror. It's a fantastic read. It's only like 150 pages, 10 documented cases. 
and he found that 95% of all cases that were related to terrorism in the United States were actually set up and run by the FBI. But nobody's paying attention to that. Got budgets, man. We got to get these budgets in there. The issues haven't really changed since the whole uh, the, the whole furore began. It really does come down to Turn this one up a little of, bit. do we give or does the courts give the FBI the right to get into this phone or indeed any phone because I think Steve Rogers you have to accept if you do it once the authorities will be back to do it again. Richard there has been a change and it changes we're at war. I could buy the privacy issue if this was minor criminal activity but we're at war and our national security is at stake here so God, we should have played all right Josh a new game for we are not cattle 3.0 or 2.0 we're gonna have a new game anytime you use war terror or um, security national security you get a Mario coin so we're gonna roll this back we're going to start with the FBI. Oh, guy. geez, John McAfee's going to have so many extra lives by the time this is done. Oh, the, uh, dude, we might, uh, we might, we might break break levels here. We might, uh, we might. To go think in... this man is running as a libertarian. Ah, uh, no, it's interesting. Steve Rogers, you have to accept. If you do it once, the authorities will be back to do it again. Richard, there has been a change, and it changes. We're at war. I could buy the privacy issue if this was minor criminal activity, but we're at war and our national security is at stake here. So this is what's changed, and this is why we need the cooperation of Apple to proceed with this. John, he's got a valid point, hasn't well, he? I, you know, uh, no, I'm, I'm, he does not. Okay, so we're only going to do it for the FBI guys, for the state. We only do the Mario coins for the state. Working rules on the fly. Here we go. John McAfee, defending your liberty, some kind of. This is not a matter of, of, of privacy versus security, sir. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm certain, Mr. Rogers, I've heard a great deal about you, and good luck to you, um, that you are uh, unexcelled in the area of uh, information gathering and intelligence. Uh, I, on the other hand, have spent my entire life in computer security. This is not an issue of privacy versus uh, uh, security. It is an issue of how you want to access the phone. The FBI is asking for a master key. I have been in this business my entire life. There has never been a single instance of a master key or a back door being placed in software that was not accessed within a matter of weeks by foreign agents or black hat hackers. All right. There is simply no way, sir, no way to keep this within the FBI or within Apple. There are going to be dozens of programmers working on this thing. You know, years ago, I was on a Navy base walking with two Japanese naval officers, and we were talking about technology. And one of them turned to me and said, you know, while American kids are playing Nintendo, we're building them. The point is, is... That what? That was a non sequitur. What does that have to do with anything? And so you know about technology because you talked to a couple of Japanese guys that were building Nintendos? <laughs> God, this is beautiful. All right, so non sequitur over. Here we go. That one, at one point in time, the Chinese, the Russians, they're all going to get this technology. I think if we could get it first and safeguard it, yes. But we're talking about the lives of American people, not about a burglar, not about someone who's involved in minor criminal activity, but the lives of the American people. And I get the Privacy Act. Believe me, I do. But I also believe in common sense, and common sense dictates, look, if we got a way to get these terrorists, look. let's do it. John? Well, Mr. Rogers, I didn't, I didn't mention privacy as the issue here. I mentioned security and safety for America. 
The FBI was hacked a month ago by a 15-year-old boy who walked off with thousands of personnel records, including undercover agents. And you're telling me you're going to keep this safe? You can't, sir. It is not possible. We cannot keep things like this safe. We stopped doing well, this I in don't. the 90s let, let me talk, because let me talk. we couldn't keep them no, safe. Okay, John, but, but Apple has managed to keep its proprietary software safe. Apple has yeah. managed to keep its iOS safe. So what? So let's just... Which is... Which is kind of a misnomer because if they can push updates to you without you having to do anything, then um, they have a back door. So that's kind of a that's kind of a misnomer. Well, well, Jake, we know the name of said alternative back door that was created specifically for the NSA. That program is called Operation Dropout Jeep, D R O P O U T Jeep, as in the vehicle. All one word. You can go and look at the uh, the leaked documents. Uh, it's very clear that, that was Snowden, right? At least NSA has. Yeah, these are Snowden documents. So not even um, <laughs> not not even uh, very revelatory in that sense. Um, but yeah, this is this is not shouldn't even be a point of debate at this at this point. It's, I think we can. I think ridiculous. we can. I can, I think we can sound the alarm, can't we? Indeed. All right, continuing with the BS. Let's just say you have a system whereby half the key is held by the FBI, half the key is held by Apple. What's wrong with that? As John McAfee laughs, like, yeah, you don't get it. <laughs> well, well, here's the problem. You're, you're saying that they've kept their operating system safe. From what? No one's trying to steal their operating system. You'd have to build the hardware for it to run on. It's not, there's no one looking for that. However, everybody's looking for a key that will unlock every and eventually, iPhone. And eventually, really eventually someone's going to get that key. But I want to go back to this phrase you're using, keeping Apple safe, the system safe. I want to talk about keeping the American people safe. And if, by golly, Apple could help out, then let's do it, okay? I understand your position. I am Man, he's cheerleading hard, isn't he? Go America. America. We need this key, people. I understand the privacy position, but I also understand we need to help our national security agencies. What do you do? But, but, but you're not helping it's the American five now. people, Mr. Rogers. If in fact, I'm telling you, within a matter of weeks. Well, who cares? That's what it's no, all no, about. I didn't say who cares. American I said who says I believe right, the majority of the American now, people want to be safe. What, let me ask you, Mr. Rogers. What do you well, do? Of course we do, but we want to be safe also from hackers getting into our telephones, stealing our, our money, our credit cards, and our IDs, watching our daughters okay. while they're in the bathroom. Good Lord, sir. Well, this is the problem, And Richard, too. they have done so that. So what are you... You are weighing... I'm sorry? Gentlemen, I'm going to... Uh, Bell, as I ask the next question. Yes, sir. Um, what about this argument that says... And I, this is the argument that if... Um, Steve Rogers, if the U.S. gets its way, the FBI gets its way, then soon China simply comes up with a legitimate court order and says, our court has said we want it to. Oh, and by the way, here's a court order from North Korea, such as it might be. Oh, and another court order, Germany would like it, and the U.K., and before long, every country is coming up with valid court orders for Apple to do the same right. thing. I believe that there in lies your national security issue. I don't believe there's a court in this country that would allow a foreign country to get that. However, saying that, Richard, I believe they'll get this information and this technology before they need a court order. John, the final word to you, sir. Do you accept, do you accept that if this goes all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court votes that Apple loses, the FBI wins, Apple has to provide 
the necessary software has to do under the rule of law that which it's ordered to do. Well, uh, then that would be a tragic day for America, sir. Uh, Mr. Rogers continually says, well, we will at least have the software first before the foreign agencies get it. Well, if you don't have the key, nobody gets it, and we're safe from the foreign agencies. There are hundreds of millions of people using the iPhone. We are all at risk if the FBI gets its way. And there are many ways that they can get access to this. I've, I've, I've offered for free to give them access to the phone. Uh, th there are tons of ways to do it, sir, and if the FBI does not have the capability, then my heart is saddened. How about we work together? How about there is a happy medium, somehow, some way? Maybe right. the FBI and you all could work together. Oh, he's such a, he's a good guy, Josh. He's such a good guy. Hey, listen, you know what? You know what this really is, Josh? That could have been very dangerous, citizen. Next time, ask first. Remember, everybody, always ask your government for permission to do everything. That was, uh, all right, so that's it. That's, uh, I'm done with that clip. My goodness. The, that's the, the perturbing thing about this whole Apple uh, so encryption saga is just, it almost seems to be that the, the attempt is to force a court precedent. No, that's exactly Solely. what it is. Yeah, so, I mean, because you have not only Tim Cook, but the director of the FBI and a number of congressional officials saying that this is what should happen. Either the court should rule, or there should be a law. And if you look at it from a, from a judicial rule of law perspective, right, then these, this could easily be routed through the FISA courts, the yep. secret anti-terror courts that the Patriot Act set up, where you can hold a trial in secret, you can uh, 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 you know, file, uh, file for papers, file for anything in secret, and you're mm -hmm. legally forced to comply. Mm -hmm. um, so if they really want to do this, even through a legal uh, structure, uh, although not a moral one, then this could have been easily kicked to those FISA courts. It could have been all done in secret, uh, and they would have gotten the records that they wanted. Um, but that's not what is happening here. They're trying to set the same precedent that currently exists in the FISA courts, where they can do all of this stuff and bring it into the public domain and have it, you know, uh, have your local county judge rule that. You know, Joe Bob down the street, we think he's dealing weed, so we need to, we need his phone records. Yep, there it is. And that's, that's what, um, that's what I've been telling everybody from the get-go, because people will ask, and I said, well, they just want precedent. That's all they want. They don't care about, they don't care about this phone. They could give two flying rips about this phone, to be honest with you. They yeah. care about the precedent, and they want to, like you said, they just want it on record. So... Well, it's like we were talking about earlier on the phone, Jake. We know the NSA already has these these backups. It's just that that evidence, because it was obtained illegally, is not admissible in, in an open court. Correct. Maybe in a FISA court. So, anyway, moving on to bigger and better things. Let's talk about what um, Mr. Donald J. Trump said that he would like to roll back. He said that he would like to roll back GATT and NAFTA. Now... When we look at NAFTA and GATT as being a, the great deals that they were for the American people, um, there was a running commentary, and the commentary was – good lord, hold on one second. It was between – I want to get the – who was the um, 
who was the CNN host or the CN uh, the uh, spokesperson for Charlie Rose when the anyway it's Sir James Goldsmith and the and Tom, some lesbian from the Clinton administration. <laughs> she I think she was the chief economist for the Clinton administration, but. What Josh and I would like She's to chief in something. That's all I know. Chief BS artist is really what we're getting to. <laughs> um, but the 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 revelations that Goldsmith made um, on Charlie Rose were astonishing to say the least to me. And wow, my levels just jumped really bad. That was weird. Astonishing to say the least. But more impressive was his prediction. Of what these would do. Now, Josh, would you like to give some background on who Sir um, James Goldsmith is or was at this time? Because I, I just clipped about, I've got an eight-minute clip and then I've got a two-minute follow-up. But during the eight minutes, put your hand up whenever you want me to stop and I'll stop and we can break it down for the people. So um, give us a little bit of background. Sure thing. So Sir James Goldsmith was a very successful, I guess, uh, you know, asset stripper capitalist. Uh, what, what do people call them? Vulture uh, capitalists. Like a Mitt Romney style. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the, that's, I'm looking for the more colloquial, uh, insulting Reorganization, reorganization, uh, restructuring, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Basically stripping companies yeah. down and selling the parts off that are actually of value. Yeah, he was an asset stripper capitalist at the peak of the 80s, but before this, he was a member of a club called the Mayfair Set. Uh, which was heavily connected to the Anglo-American establishment. A number of Freemasons were in the Mayfair set. And this was in the 50s and 60s um, during the kind of Britain's, Great Britain's early foray into the military-industrial complex. So the Mayfair set kind of all went their separate ways. And uh, James Goldsmith, after uh, becoming a very successful uh, entrepreneur during the 80s, uh, essentially saw... NAFTA, GATT, CAFTA, these trade agreements coming down the line, and not only saw it as threatening to his underlying business and, and his ability to, to conduct you know, his affairs as he saw fit, but he saw it as the wholesale destruction of Western civilization. And of course, you know, looking back with the retrospection of 20 years, we can see how accurate he was. So in the early 90s, he ran as a referendum candidate for prime minister. Uh, and the the goal of this referendum was solely to defeat GATT or the Uruguay Round, uh, which was indeed passed. Uh, he lost that election. Uh, he then went on to write a book trying to explain uh, how you know in the Western world you just can't compete with people who are going to who are willing to work for fifty cents an hour uh, and will constantly undercut your business. You can't you can't compete in that model unless everyone is to become the third world. So it's a race uh, to the called- so it was a race to the bottom basically. Exactly. And now that we see this going on in currency markets around the world, this, this race to debase, uh, we see that we're, we're well on, on underway to this track. There's not a whole lot you can do to stop it at this point unless people want to get serious. But, you know, the people we deal with are the people you had dinner with at your work uh, training seminar, Jake. But, yeah, so, so after, after writing this book called The Trap, uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was published. And then James Goldsmith, uh, a couple of days after the the release of the book, developed a fast-acting cancer and was dead three weeks later. So, that's so don't so don't Goldsmith. so don't read the book, people. It's not worth your yeah. time. He, All right. Essentially, he he's an insider who bucked who bucked the trend. Yeah, he didn't want to destroy the world for profit. All right. So here we go. 
Um, and this is actually started his own profit. Yeah, even his own profit. I mean, I guess he had some morals somewhere deep down in there. So um, this starts out with the Clinton. Um, God, I really want to know who this person was. Can you look it up, Josh, while we're uh, while I'm playing this clip and starting and stopping? Thank you. Sure All right. Thing. So um, and I think he might uh, Charlie Rose might allude to her name. But um, here we go. We're starting off with her describing how great the Uruguay, Uruguay round will be for trade around the world, people, and for America. This is a good deal, Larry, to quote Al Gore. Here we go. The is, is the Uruguay round, is further trade liberalization going to exacerbate or aggravate that trend, or is it going to improve the situation well, for America? Wait, let me just make sure I heard you, because I'm not as, as informed on this debate. You are saying, uh, Chairman Tyson, that as far as when you look at the facts... Okay, it's Chairman Tyson, so she must have been the chair of the economic, or Clinton's Economic Council. Chair, uh, you're muted. You're muted, Josh. Okay. Who was it? Sorry, L- Laura Tyson. Yeah. Laura Tyson was her name. Yeah. All right, so here we go. Um, selling you down the river with a big smile on her face. Go, America. That all the companies that are going in search of lower wages are already doing that, and they're, therefore GATT will not add to the number no, of companies fact, leaving I'm the United argue, States to manufacture their products fact, somewhere else exactly. or leaving I am France. Argue, I'm arguing exactly that, and furthermore, I'm saying not exactly. only will okay. GATT not... Can, can Charlie Rose spoon feed her any more at that one little segment right there? That was just spoon feed. Here, I'm going to tell you what to say, and you just agree. All right, so here we go. Worse than that, Tennessee Let me just answer that point. You okay. have just said... Mm-hmm. That companies are going offshore to get cheap labor. Some are. Right. Many are uh, not. Most I, are I, not. I don't want to remind you of the fact that a few minutes ago you were saying the opposite, but doesn't matter. No, no, no. no I was but not. Me, and you're me, now I, saying. I'm sorry. That, now, is unfair, now, that is unfair. You're, that is unfair argument. You are now saying. You are now saying that they're moving offshore so as to get cheaper labor. Fine, I agree. This with is you. not a fair. I, I, but you're right, well, let, let me finish, and then I'll give you a chance then, to correct what you think he's saying. And then you say, but bringing in the Uruguay. Um. We just lost Josh for some reason. And we lost audio. Hold on a second. GATT will not exacerbate that. Now, what is the purpose of GATT? It's to reduce trade barriers. We've had eight rounds which have reduced the average trade barriers from, what, 40% to 3.9% if the Uruguay round goes through, so that you can manufacture anywhere in the world to sell anywhere in the world. But now, why did this... Why did this... Why did Let this, him finish and then come back. Why did this not happen before? Okay. Because you, if you manufactured abroad before, mm-hmm. you couldn't import back without a cost. Now what you're doing is you are, you can say, are saying, move offshore, continue to move offshore, as you've been doing up to now, according to you, and I agree with you, and you can re-import into the States the products that you well, manufacture. You, you and the result is that you will obliterate you, you, earnings yeah. and employment in the States. First of all, let me point out... Which is exactly what happened. You get a coin, Mr. Goldsmith. That the, an important point that you miss here is the U.S. has, by choice and for a considerable period of time, much lower trade barriers than its partners. So what is going to happen in the Uruguay round, and incidentally what happened in NAFTA, is that the foreign markets are going to become much more open relative to our market. It changes the balance of incentives, making it more attractive for American companies to stay here and produce for those foreign markets. Oh, that was a very tricky verbiage she used right there, wasn't it, Josh? I saw you shaking your head. you want to comment? No? Just let it play? Uh, you're muted. You are muted still. 
You're you're not muted. No, well, I for some reason you are muted. Call me right back on Skype. All right. Remember, we have. Oh, we do. We got low tariffs to begin with. Can you hear me now? Yes, we got you. Okay, so here we go. Sorry about that. You look like you wanted to say something. Oh, I, I was just shaking my head uh, as I combed over Miss Laura Tyson's bio. Oh, okay. Um, well, so yeah, go ahead and spill it to us, and we'll finish up with this clip. Well, just, just bear in mind that what this woman is saying, which, again, you know, in retrospect, now that we have, you know, 20-plus years of historical uh, evidence here, uh, we can clearly determine that this woman is a, is a con artist and a shill and is full of claptrap and has no fucking idea what she's talking about. Excuse my French. Uh, so when you see oh, that she's you get educated at the London... That's a millennial coin. <laughs> so uh, it's worth half as much now. Um, so when you see that this woman was educated at the London School of Economics, uh, oh. an Anglo-American establishment hellhole if there ever was one. Socialist, uh, was, socialist, uh, socialist, um, socialism headquarters 101. Uh-huh. Was a, uh, was a chief advisor to the Brookings Institution. And sat on the board of directors of Morgan Stanley, Jake. Uh, we now know that not only are the very is she a member of academia uh, that authored the policy papers to sell us down this primrose path of uh, of skunk cabbages, um, that she is also an integral aspect of the very financial apparatus that has helped to carry this plan out uh, and. If I'm not mistaken, Jake, was not Morgan Stanley at the heart of the 2008 derivatives crisis nah, that related would... to mortgage fraud? I think you're using a lot of big terms in big companies, and I don't understand them. I would like to listen to this I just, woman. I just think Laura Tyson's a criminal. <laughs> listen, Hillary Clinton hasn't – she hasn't lied that she can that she can remember. That she can remember she hasn't really lied. So here we go. But I, I, I believe that she believes that. Well, yeah, she's a sociopath, man. Of course she does. <laughs> it doesn't. Okay, and we it. are actually leveling the playing field and making it more possible for American right. companies to... Yeah, wait, wait. Oh, she's leveling the playing field, which is actually true, because that's what the World Bank wanted to do, was they they knew that, the, um, that all these uh, first world nations, uh, America... Um, China, to some extent, and, and Great Britain were not going to lower their output, and we're not going to lower their economic dominance. So they devised a plan to level the playing field and bring us all to hell. Wow, how exciting. It's really great. Thank you so much, guys. You leveled the playing field, and you brought everyone down to poverty. Good work. And look how... But Jake, it just—it opened up so many trade barriers. Look at how. Oh, much no, 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 no. She's going to get to. She's going to get to it. She's going to tell us about how how great this is going to be. Here we go. Let me, let me just sorry, one second. Sorry. Just on that point, we'll come back to. I mean, it seems to me that we have established that at least some companies are going to go overseas because have gone of lower wages and have done it in the past, but right. some still will. Mm-hmm. And I don't well, think that I, I do not think that trade liberalization will worsen that. I actually think trade okay, will improve that. That's but you important. do acknowledge that it, in fact, has happened. You just don't think it will, uh, it will accelerate because of this. But I you are, you say, are willing. You uh, but, are willing. But, but let me say two... I want, I yeah, please, go ahead. Sorry. I think it's appropriate for me to add two yeah, yeah, provisos to this. Number one, companies that... There is very good evidence that companies that have gone abroad in part to lower their cost of production, what that has done for them here is allow them to be more competitive here and as a consequence to have a larger share of the world market. I can give you... 
samples from okay. Texas Instruments, okay. Motorola. Right. They have evidence showing that. How's Texas Instruments stock doing right now, Josh? Oh yeah, just just wonderful, Jake. You know, and you know how Motorola is Motorola is dominating them. Yeah, Motorola is dominating the market, aren't they too? Yeah, well, at least TI, I believe, still builds some things here. Uh, 3M, I know, does. So all of your office supplies that you need far less of because we live in a digital economy where everything's built in Taiwan and Singapore, kind of replacing the need for office supplies. But here we go. Hey. Laura Tyson says it'll be all right. Everything's going to be fine, guys. Everything's going to be fine. Just... They can hire more people in the United States because they keep their overall costs right. down and they keep but their competition by lower every... costs in but, some but production Mrs. Tyson, places abroad. Mrs. Tyson, you, what you are saying flies in direct conflict with the facts. What, every single that? industry has reduced the number of people that they employ that in has... all the developed countries sharply. No, and no, that no, no, has no, no, happened no. partly because I... of productivity and partly because of movement offshore. Now, it can't be, it cannot be otherwise. It has happened primarily because of productivity. It is not and primarily. As a matter of fact, it is yeah, not as, primarily. The evidence is overwhelming on this point, excuse me. In terms of the economic evidence, it is absolutely overwhelming. All right, let it me make one last point. I know you have to go, mm -hmm. uh, but stay with me for this. Is the argument by the administration, by supporters of GATT, in the Congress is that with trade barriers going down, mm -hmm. there will be a larger market for product produced in America. Is right. that true or false? That and is, is that a one of the positive benefits? That of is GATT? a positive Hold on one benefit. Wait a minute. In other will... words, that more products will be imported into America. No, is that what you mean? America will export more products because barriers but, to the importation, whether it's Japan or whether it's your France, yes. or where. Very tricky, isn't it, that they say they will be able to export more products, but it doesn't say manufacture. Wherever it is. They will export. Yeah, we can export the hell out of them. <laughs> we didn't build them. There'll be less barriers, and therefore America will be able to sell more of its products, creating jobs in America it rather than losing jobs. What will happen? Yeah, is that, that what will happen? Let me okay, so here comes, here, comes the, uh, here comes Veritas, everybody. And this is exactly what happened. Welcome to Veritas. Mr. Goldsmith. Please let me answer. Let me what will happen is more American products will be sold abroad, which have been manufactured in low-cost areas. And therefore, they will carry a U.S. name. They will have a U.S. manufacturing company. The corporations that make them will make great profits, right. but the workforces right. will be eliminated. And this is what has happened the throughout problem, the world. The if you, Ms. Tyson, if, Ms. Tyson if you were willing to look at the facts in those countries that have look, followed that look policy. Look at the facts in our country. We have followed the country. We have followed a policy of lowering barriers more aggressively, unilaterally over the and past And what have you had? You had a 19.4% reduction in real earnings. No, no, no. You what have $150 billion. What we have now is we have an economy which has uh, generated five over 5 million jobs. We have earnings on the upswing at this point. The problems of earnings, earnings in the last few years have been the result of a cyclical decline in the U.S. economy, a recession coming from ill-advised fiscal policies, irresponsible government behavior in the 1980s. That's over 20 years, We, we are is now over a right. I'm going to have to end this for a couple of reasons. One, because okay. I, yes. I want to move to another okay. realm of this, which yes. is, tell me about the politics of this thing. You were there uh, testifying before uh, the Commerce Committee, mm -hmm. Senator Fritz Holland from South Carolina. What's the politics of it, uh, Chairman Tyson? Do you think that, in fact, Chairperson Tyson, do you mm -hmm. think, in fact, that that uh, GATT will pass and the Congress and that I you do will be believe, able uh, to enlist the support? Yes, I Gingrich do. is in favor of it, mm -hmm. although 
Others who are in favor of it have some reservations about the World Trade Organization. I, I do believe it will pass, and I believe it will pass because the both the economic and the political logic are overwhelming. Let, let me just add Let's a just point on the economic side, which I think uh, we haven't really touched upon. There are a whole host of studies, and there was just one that was released at the end of last week. The one released at the end of last week was not done for the United States. It was done for the world economy. But it pointed out that the gains to the United States are about... $150 billion a year, uh, which translates to about $1,700 per American family. Can, can I Once comment the on that? No, let me, let me give yes, you the, course, two, give you the economic argument. Yeah, the one, the one, the one to drop, so sorry. the economic argument is that this is overwhelmingly beneficial for the United States, and in a process of 10 years of phase-in, by the 10th year, we get those kinds of benefits. There's almost nothing we can think of to do right now as a society which guarantees those kinds of benefits. Okay, now let me just now comment. Let, let, let me just comment on that. Allow me to comment. Allow me to comment. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I must comment on okay. this. Okay. So he's about to comment, and we're going to go to that last clip, and then we're going to we're going to do a little bit of wrap up. So <clears throat> here is the closer. God, this guy was amazing. Gee, I, I can't. Imagine why he just he just happened to leave us so soon, Josh. Can't imagine why. Was that about a year ago? It's a shame that Gats? these coincidences happen, Jay. Uh, yeah, I know. it's too bad. Here we go. So here's here's the uh, here's the the clincher. Was that about a year ago? GATT, the GATT organization, the OECD, and by the way, a bit later, the World Trade Organization, the World Bank produced a forecast mm -hmm. of what would happen if the Uruguay Ground were fully implemented. And they came up with this extraordinary precise figure of a $213 billion increase for world trade. Mm -hmm. And you then looked at uh, the report and read it, and you found that that was in 10 years, if it was applied, mm -hmm. that the head of the OECD, Mr. Pei, said, highly theoretical report, and that the two, that's his quote, and that the $213 billion, when you calculated it, was 0.7% mm -hmm. of the prospective world GNP in 10 years' time. So we were talking about a 0.7%. It was still positive, not, wasn't it? It wasn't not, negative. As you would not, suggest, it's a, negative. A it's not, positive. Wait a minute. Let me just please answer your point. Even if we please, use please, a small please, number, it's guys, positive. Let me, let me answer your point, please. She is so rude. 0.7%, perhaps, in 10 years was what was forecast. Last, then, as the pressure has come on and there's been opposition to GATT, mm -hmm. like a lot of hysterical chicken, they've been increasing that forecast. And all of a sudden, it's 500 billion. Last <laughs> week, as yeah. even, even as, uh, one paper... All right, for those of you keeping score at home, let me know if this sounds like climate change to anybody. Yes, so that was a cannily world time. They doubled. They found a 287 billion took out of the hat. On top of that... What did we hear? That if it was postponed, the single most important piece of economic uh, 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 legislation in, our, in modern times, if it was postponed a few months, we were told it was going to cost $100 billion to the U.S. for a few months. Now, it was $213 billion for the whole world mm -hmm. in 10 years, perhaps, and all of a sudden it became $500 billion, $100 billion for the U.S. alone. This is hysteria. I there you go, everybody. That's the sales strategy. Is they fear you and con you into things by it's an old sales strategy called the takeaway. As soon as somebody well, feels like that they can't get something tomorrow that they can get today, they feel more compelled to buy. Go ahead, John. Well, Jake, 
you you mentioned uh, the farce of anthropogenic global warming there, and uh, isn't it funny that in two South American conferences in the early 90s, we are given Agenda 21 as well as the Uruguay round within a year of each other. Uh, but uh, again, just these crazy coincidences. Also funny that in this uh, latest Apple debacle that we talked about earlier, uh, Tim Cook sat at that very table with Charlie Rose a few weeks ago, and uh, Charlie asked him about this very topic, about whether or not Tim Cook uh, saw a moral quandary with his company, uh, being an American company and building so many things in China. Uh, to which Tim Cook responded, well, I have a moral obligation to my shareholders to be a profitable company, and I can't be profitable in this country. So <laughs> I'm not going to build anything here. Thank you. Thank you, Gat. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Welcome to Destroying America. You guys Gat win. and NAFTA and TAFTA and the TPP. TPP, uh, baby. We got it. We world. got it all coming. All right. So, I mean, I guess there's only one thing to do, right? Buckle up, citizen. Buckle up, everybody. We're about to go for a ride. Uh, Josh, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah. So, I'll regale you with a story, Jake, and maybe you can uh, you can offer some of your perspective in dealing uh, with with your father's political opinions. Sure. Because I, I, would, I would consider my dad uh, a far more aware individual than, than most people, especially uh, at his age as a boomer. You know, he would have been probably much more mentally well off if he just ignored me. But, you know, he had an open mind and uh, was, was willing to consider a lot of the things that I've discussed with him. That being said, he's... Uh, He's he's caught he's found himself a little bit on the on the Trump hype train, mm-hmm. um, and we were having a discussion about these very trade deals last night. And his his point is that you know maybe Donald Trump can't fix America, but if we could just renegotiate these trade trade deals, maybe we could get back to something like the 1980s where we were at least had the facade of profitability and prosperousness. Uh, and you know, my argument back was ignoring the fact that the bubble and the appointment of Greenspan that started in the late 80s is a direct result of what we're experiencing now. And you can't have the boom without the bust, right? It's mm-hmm. just basic Austrian economics 101. And barring the fact that these trade deals are all signed you mean off on Keynesianism. So, you mean Keynesian economics. Yeah, there we go. Not even Keynesianism. It's this weird form of neo Keynesianism. Yeah. I mean, yep. Keynes, yep. Keynes, at least, you know, he was he adopted a labor theory of value, but mm-hmm. he couldn't envision a world where gold mm-hmm. and silver were not money. That's right. And never did. No. Nope. Yeah, you should. People should go back and read Keynes. It's hard to read him because he changes his mind so damn often. But um, he's he's. I would give him far. He would look at the neo Keynesian of Keynesians of today and probably find himself being identified as an Austrian, at least by these people. Right. But anyways. Um, the crux of his point is that these trade deals could be renegotiated for the better of America. And, you know, I was trying to say, well, despite the fact that you can't renegotiate those because they're at the congressional level, mm-hmm. what you would have to do in lieu of renegotiating those trade deals to make America great again, to make it, to bring jobs back to this country that aren't automated and they aren't robot jobs, you would have to make American prices competitive. And you'd have to do that domestically because you sure, sure as hell can't do it through exports, at least not in this environment. So that would, by its very nature, require incredible import taxes and tariffs. You would have to make foreign goods incredibly expensive to the point where they would reach at least some kind of parity with the American goods mm-hmm. to where the consumer would want to purchase American shit again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the, again, that would you're talking about twenty to thirty percent import tax at the bare minimum. Yep, and on then, goods coming in from China, and that's not an overnight yeah. thing either. And that that's probably a twenty year cycle in and of itself, right there. Exactly, and I mean this is again barring the fact that this the, these freight containers are plugged into a just in time delivery system yep. that all operates on this model that you'd have to rework, it'd be very expensive. Mm -hmm. The point is that even if you could do all of those things uh, and to make the American worker competitive again, average Joe Schmo is going to log on to his Amazon account. He's going to see that everything costs 10, 15, 20 times more than it used to. He's going to walk down to the local Home Depot and see how expensive plumbing fittings are for his PVC. And he's going to throw his hands in the air, and he's going to say this is a failure. I would rather have cheap, convenient shit than shit made in America. It's just, that's the era we live in. Millennial coin. <clears throat> I need to get a millennial coin. Oh, I got it. Send me those uh, sound bites. It should you be were a Super about. Mario Galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> send, me the, <laughs> send, send me those. Uh, I'll, I'll look at the Super Mario Galaxy, and we'll find the millennial coin for Josh. So every time we have foul mouth nice. Josh, we can do the millennial coin. <laughs> Uh, that's it for the show, everybody. Um, thank you so much for listening. Sorry to end on a downer, but hey, guess what? Um, we're, Your world's a downer, people. Yeah, the world's not really a downer if we look at it in a in a in a good perspective. Of we can do a lot of good by getting people to pay attention, and we might be able to figure some of these really really challenging questions out if we get more people involved. If we get more people having conversations, having a conversation. With um with our neighbors and um, just getting people to think, you know, a lot of er um, almost everybody that I run into is on autopilot, whether it's in corporate America or outside of corporate America, and uh, I'm sure you guys uh, and Josh, you probably experience this as well. If you meet an individual that has realized the con of the uh, status quo, uh, it's almost an instantaneous bond with that person, and the fact that they can actually see the con going on, they know that it's a con. And we all kind of put up with it because, um, you know, in my, I guess in my youth and my vigor, I thought that I could, I thought I could change it. I thought I could get out and in the Fed, I could get people to pay attention if they just understood what was going on. That you know, that real change would happen. But uh, neo mercantilism is in full effect, and in order to reverse that, we have to look at the the issues, uh, the causes, and the byproducts of them. So that we can find solutions for them because if we don't look at it and if we just bury our heads in the sand and say, oh, well, it's okay for right now, then you know people like my daughter are going to be hosed. And that's the reason that I do this show. That's the reason I talk to people. That's the reason I, I still get involved in my local community. I still get people to try to go out and, and do the right thing and, and make informed decisions, uh, whether it's with the products they're putting in their body or whether it's with um, – you know, their political uh, alignments. So, I don't know, man. There is no silver bullet, everybody. Uh, do not listen to the NLP of Alex Jones. If you have been listening to Alex Jones for the last two weeks, you probably bought two Trump hats and a button and a bullhorn, and you're ready to go and renegotiate NAFTA and GATT and the TPP, which were all, as Josh said, signed at the congressional level. So if we have a repeal, it has to be done through Congress and the the Donald can't just veto it. So, unfortunately, it ain't happening, people. Sorry, it ain't happening. Let's start to work on different solutions. And um, next, Josh, I think we got to go. 
I think we got to go into the cyber world when we meet again next time because uh, the the robots are coming, and the question is, uh, what do we do? We can ask Zygner Brzezinski what we do, but I don't think you're going to like the outcome of that. So, But, hey, you know, Boston Dynamics, they've just released their, uh, you mean Google? their prototype of their successful bipedal self-balancing uh, yeah, Google alphabet, uh, their self-balancing bipedal model of the big dog, so humanoid. And, uh, Jake, you'll be pleased to know that it will cost half as much as the big dog. Oh, isn't that great? And if we can just put some turrets on it and some missiles, we could send it over to Syria and bring those people some freedom. That's it, everybody. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. And remember, hashtag rise above the rhetoric. Follow me at We Are Not Cattle, the number one. Check out the website, wearenotcattle.net. And pay attention for when the next stream is going to be. I will tweet it out. I will also put it on the site. It will probably be this weekend sometime um, because evidently my daughter uh, is not liking the fact that Daddy is upstairs while she is trying to go to bed. So uh, I do not rule my household. I am ruled by a two-year-old um, authoritarian. But she's really cute. So there you go. That's it, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care. Peace, love, and liberty. You deserve it, Stream is done.